0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership Enterprises. And I'm Chloe Radcliffe, a coach here at Good Leadership. Welcome to the
1: Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast.
0: We are recording this in the Aspiration suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where we coach leaders and their teams how to grow their businesses with goodness. In short, our team coaches your team through the transition to the next level of performance. Chloe, you're one of the familiar voices on the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. Will you tell everybody how we're connected? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm part of the original team that uh, helped start this podcast series. So this is, its it feels like being back home.
0: Yeah, we've come a long way since then. We've actually got the sound right, thanks to our friend Ian over here. <laughs>
1: Uh, Yeah, so I I live in, I'm from Minnesota originally, but I live in New York City now, and I'm one of the coaches here at Good Leadership, uh, and I specialize in keynote speeches and executive presence coaching.
0: Yeah, actually, in spirit of true disclosure, Chloe is my speaking coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So (laughs) Many an hour of (laughs) me going, one more time. (laughs) Thankless job. Yes, that's right.
1: (laughs) So, Paul, before we go any further, will you tell us what you mean by goodness? Absolutely.
0: We believe goodness pays. That's why this is called the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast, and goodness is described as when people thrive together, both personally and professionally, in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. And we've learned that four out of five leaders actually believe in that concept deeply, but like any other belief system, you have need constant reminders, and practice, and learning, and sometimes even proof statements. So the Good Leadership Breakfast is really all about providing that encouragement and those proof statements around the idea that goodness pays.
1: Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Today, we're featuring the appearance of Julie Kay from the Good Leadership Breakfast that happened just this morning. It's a monthly leadership development event that Paul started in 2009, and today was a great one.
0: Yeah, I really agree. Um, Julie brought a very interesting perspective on a really, really big uh, global problem, obviously global warming and the environment, and she's just a really good, nice person and brought really cool energy.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's sharp as a whip, and she's so—is that— Sharp as a tack, smart yeah. as a whip, whatever. She's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, and she, and says the speech coach. I know, I know. I'm like, oh, where, 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 where are my words? Uh, no, but she has such mastery of how data can be used to solve these huge global challenges. And beyond, she talked a lot about climate change, but she also, she talked about applying, you know, understanding from how to solve Ebola to solving the opioid crisis. So she's really got this data brain.
0: Well, and I was kind of worried about it a little bit because I am not a data person at all. I've, I have learned to be as a business owner and someone who's writing about really important subjects, but I was um, worried that my brain was going to get kind of twisted up like a pretzel yeah. with her explaining all this stuff. And I did it? And happily, it did not. So oh, that's good.
1: <laughs> Uh, So for for any first-time listeners, the strategy for this episode is what we call Monday morning quarterback. So in other words, we play some of the highlights of Julie Kaye's talk this morning, and then Paul and I will share our observations and even criticisms based on our experience as executive coaches.
0: So let's get started at the point when she described her role at Click.
1: As Paul mentioned,
2: I work for an organization called Click. We're a data analytics software company originally founded in Sweden, but now based outside of Philadelphia. And I have the privilege of actually working with Qlik to not only enhance various organizations' use of data and analytics to power better decision-making, clients that include companies from all different industries, shapes, sizes, and of course, countries around the world. But predominantly, my role at Qlik is to actually solve the world's greatest challenges also with data and analytics. I work in the areas of humanitarian and natural disaster relief. We have several partners that are working in the Middle East to uh, help with the Syrian refugee crisis. And I've spent a lot of time actually working with different organizations to fight contagious diseases like Ebola and Zika and so forth. So I'm very proud of the work that I have the opportunity to participate in. I love the partners and I feel very passionate about this work. But let's just say, conversations around these topics aren't exactly the most fun at parties. <laughs> but what I want to share with you today is some examples about kind of how you can actually leverage the opportunity to bring goodness into your daily life and your work life. And you don't have to have a role like I do. You can actually do it within any department or organization that you might work in within your own company. And or there are ways that you can get involved in your community to actually also work towards a more sustainable, equitable, and exciting future for all.
0: Okay, so she starts right off the bat talking about Zika and... World conservation and partnering with the UN and all these big, huge concepts. And I'm wondering, how in the world is she going to cover all this and shape a story for us in 18 minutes? It's it just every time I spend time in her presence, I'm overwhelmed at just the enormity of what she's working on.
1: I know. And, and to me, it's absolutely how, you know, how do we cover all of this in 18 minutes? But not only that, it's how do you do all of that for one job? How is, how is one career... Not, it's not even a career. What, literally one job saying, all right, we're going to tackle climate change and the opioid crisis and water and, you know, and the Syrian refugee displacement. And I, I mean, it's it's wild to me that that's what she works on. And it really sounds like a job that you would expect from the UN, not from a data company.
0: And through a leadership lens. Yes. Anyone who's going to manage people that are that much brainiacs in the data space we all know how hard those people are to manage. She's a very unique person in the fact that she brings the ability to keep up with them intellectually, mm-hmm. but also the ability to get all those people working together to tackle big stuff like, you know, Zika and clean water across the globe. Mm-hmm. So What made her part of her speech really fun is that she's also got this really cute, whimsical style, and I I really appreciated the fact she was willing to tell us a little bit about how she grew up and reveal some of her goals as a girl, so let's go listen to that right here.
2: So a little bit about my background. As I mentioned, I grew up in Iowa, in a very small town about 60 miles south of Rochester, Minnesota. So Rochester and Mayo Clinic were actually very predominant, actually, in conversations in this area in which I grew up. But I grew up with some dreams. I grew up with the dream of, firstly, becoming a Dallas Cowboy Cheerleader. (laughs) And then, my friends and I, after doing a few years in Dallas, we were going to actually go and become directors on cruise ships, similar to Julie on Love Boat. (laughs) And then finally, after a couple of years doing that, we were going to travel to New York City, and we were going to live in the Big Apple, and we were going to do all kinds of exciting things. What we were going to do for work, we had no idea, but th- those were our dreams, right? And I'm a big believer, actually, that yes, there are some folks out there that dreamed of becoming kind of professional baseball players who are doing that. But there's also a lot of us who had these dreams growing up. That if you actually tap into some of the kind of the elements of those dreams, you might find that you have the opportunity and/or are already actually bringing those dreams into your current reality.
1: So, the point that I take from that, I love listening to that, and I really think about the fact that aspirations are so much deeper at their core than whatever the superficial label is. So sure that you know, the dream is be a cheerleader and then be a cruise director, but that what she was attracted to about those roles as a kid, was that she brings this incredibly enthusiastic energy and this sort of organizing mindset to a group of people who she's working with. And fast forward however many years, now she's applying that same kind of enthusiasm and that same kind of positive momentum to these huge global challenges. But at the core, it's the same aspiration.
0: Yeah, I have, uh, I have two reactions to that. One is for her and one is for you. Um, I know Julie well, and I know that she is a very strong feminine leader. And it just made me laugh that she wanted to be a Dallas Cowboy mm-hmm. cheerleader mm-hmm. and Julie the cruise director on a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. So those two concepts seem a little bit in conflict to me. But obviously, with where she, she lands? Yeah. yeah, and she's and, in this
1: hyper male-dominated tech space. And, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, so that is that just really kind of that was a brain twister for me. That's not the first time I've heard her say that. So I've gotten a lot more comfortable with it. Um, the other thing I'm wondering is that you are definitely at the beginning of the first half of your career, Chloe. Mm-hmm. I'm in the second half of my career mm-hmm. so I'm actually living my dream. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, gosh, I was thinking about you and thinking, wow, at your age, you're looking at somebody that's got at least 20 years on you. So I'm just was curious to find out how that sparked aspirational thinking in you. What were your aspirations when you were a little girl?
1: Uh, well, I'm man, when I was little, I wanted to be either a veterinarian or a meteorologist or an actress. And I think, and the the vet, I, there's, I, I just like animals. You
0: have to too much studying for that. Yeah, too yeah, much yeah, science, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm.
1: that one I think I just like animals. But but meteorologist and actress, to me the two the things that link those are that they're both performances. And I was thinking meteorologist like the person on, TV, oh, on TV. Not, TV, not sitting in you know Noah in yeah. the south or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but. No, that it that it's it's performance based and it's really communicating a message in both ways. And so I I can look at where I am now and I go, oh, I'm still working in performance. It's mm-hmm. a different it's a different kind yeah, of performance. Sure, um, I'm not an actress and I'm not a, a TV meteorologist, but it is still that kind of process of connecting. You know, connecting a person who's in front of an audience with the audience that, that who's watching them and creating this circuit of energy between them.
0: Yeah. From, for me, it's, it's completely obvious what I'm doing right now is what I wanted to do. No question about it. I wanted to, own. what do you,
1: what do you mean when you
0: say I wanted to own a business? I wanted to write books. I wanted to um, influence people. I, I just, I just knew it. I knew it in high school. It was really vivid to That's me. That's
1: amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you know, uh, th- those are, those are fairly broad aspirations. Uh, and I'm impressed if you knew with that kind of breadth that early, you know, you. you oh, I did. That that I, was I, I absolutely
0: did, and I also knew that I wanted to have a job that I could uh, uh, work on the golf course because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was a golfer at a young age. I watched mm-hmm. people do that, and I realized you pretty much had to be in professional services. You had to have yeah. client relationships, yeah. and so um, I do believe that if there are strong, vivid aspirations and convictions, that you absolutely can make those things come alive. Yeah. And a, a lot of her speech was about that. And so it was, it was really fun to hear. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Um, she started describing the, um, the intellectual part of the job with a really interesting Steve Jobs reference. Let's go there.
2: Steve Jobs said that the computer is actually the bicycle for the mind. And if you believe that, you can also see how data are the wheels... And it takes a human to get on that bicycle and fuel it. So some of the things that we're working on now. Here in the great state of Minnesota, the environment and your lakes and all of that beauty that surrounds us is vitally important, not only to the young people in the community, but all ages, actually. We seek a great deal of enjoyment from that. And even though, as we look around, you might see lakes that are full of water, and beauty in the nature and the environments around our parks, there are actually some issues with regards to water conservation and water scarcity. One of the projects that actually we've worked on for several years is with an organization called Circle of Blue. Circle of Blue is an organization based out of Michigan. They actually were one of the first organizations to report the crisis of the water contaminants in Flint, Michigan. Circle of Blue sits on the World Economic Forum's Council on Water, and they partner with great organizations like the Columbia Water Center at Columbia University in New York. So in partnership with Circle of Blue, we're working to solve the water crisis, the crisis that we might not see every day, but that actually exists within our country as well as in several other countries around the world. How are we doing that? So with Circle of Blue, we've identified public data sets that exist And have existed for several years, existed for several years. As an example, the U.S. Geological Society takes measurements of groundwater and surface water, and they make this data available on their public-facing website, through an initiative obviously supported by our federal government on data.gov. But they have this data available in terms of how much water actually exists within our aquifers, within our lakes, within our rivers and our streams. The U.S. Department of Agriculture takes measurements with regards to how that water is actually used, whether it's used for agriculture or commercial purposes, by crop, by county. They have a whole wealth of data with regards to how are actually these water resources being used. That exists in another set of data. And now the Environmental Protection Agency has data with regards to contaminants. How safe is that water? Can we drink it, right? Can we use it for various purposes? So as all of these data sets have grown and been accumulated over time, they also exist in silos. And it takes hours and sometimes days and weeks for researchers, private organizations, and organizations like Circle of Blue, who want to actually promote the conservation of water and how we leverage this important resource, to get access to that data, to use it to make better decisions on how we can serve that resource going forward. So in partnership with Circle of Blue and the Columbia Water Center, we created an app. We can technically, very easily, pull these different data sets together. And we layered them, one on top of the other, and provide now this portal to this very powerful set of data to all the very important decision makers who need to actually kind of determine the various rights that companies have to access to the well water data that exists, as well as how we protect our surface water resources from various contaminants, avoiding, obviously, the next Flint, Michigan. So a very powerful project that many people don't necessarily even know or kind of even have heard about But yet, through the power of data and technology, fueled by the human spirit, we now have at our fingertips these tools available to conserve this very precious resource.
0: Okay, so it's obviously difficult to articulate how to stream all of these different data sets together. I loved when she talked about collecting them and layering on top one after another. I mean, I am not a data guy. It wasn't until people started referring to me as a thought leader around my craft that I thought to myself, wow, I need to start appreciating data, learn how to do research and learn how to find patterns That's critical to what I do, but I do it on such a micro scale compared to what she's talking about. What was your reaction when she was talking about how all this stuff kind of flows together with the help of Click?
1: Well, what it got me thinking about was the fact that within one organization, within one company or one department or whatever, frequently there are programs that do exactly what she's describing, but they're doing it with what we think of as business data. Mm -hmm. So there is a system that Mm -hmm. inputs widgets here and Mm -hmm. deliveries here, whatever. And you, and it analyzes all of that. But we rarely, what Click is doing is taking those capabilities and applying it to systems that we don't typically think of saying, oh, open up a program and analyze the, you know, the financial output, whatever. Uh, And, and I think that that is the core, that is the best version of Philanthropic action or or of community based action, where you use what you are really good at to help a community in a way that they need, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if I could help somebody, I'm good at writing and coaching. Mm-hmm. So if I could help somebody by writing and coaching. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my best version of giving back.
0: Yeah. Well what's fascinating about her is that she was so into her subject that she forgot to tell people in the audience that her job, she gives all this stuff away for free. Yeah. yeah. She's in charge of click dot org, yeah. which is the nonprofit corporate social responsibility arm of click and yeah. everything she's talking about here, folks, all of it they give away for free. Yeah. And to me, that's not a detail. <laughs> she was just so excited about her subject. She, uh, she forgot to say it. Mm-hmm. I will say one more thing about this. I was looking around the room while she was talking about how this data thing works. And the audience was polarized. There were groups of people who are nodding politely, and then there was these people that were super intensely into it. And afterwards, a woman walked up to me and she goes, I can't believe she mentioned data.gov. That's like my favorite website ever. I'm just a data geek. I love it. And I looked yeah, at right? her like, really? How yeah. could that be true? Yeah. So I guess those people are out there, Chloe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, she did give us a very simple analogy about how businesses can make the behavior change from being less bad to actually changing their Mm -hmm. behavior as it relates to the environment. I think we should go there next.
1: Yeah. Before we go there, actually let me describe the stage for for listeners. So on stage, she had props on both stools that were on stage on one stool. She had a a plastic water bottle and a coffee cup, like a paper coffee cup from Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And then on the other stool, she had a, reusable metal water bottle, and a reusable ceramic
0: coffee mug. Yeah, good. Thanks for the setup.
2: So a lot of kind of what we're doing to kind of on our daily lives and all of that is demonstrated by these two kind of items here, right? A plastic water bottle, as well as kind of a, a consumable waste product, if you will, from Starbucks coffee. And there's a lot of goodness in this. There's a lot of talk about recycling, and plastic pollution, and as well as kind of reducing our reliance on consumables. And that's good, that's a good way to think about it, and it is actually accomplishing a great deal. But in some respects, it's a little bit about doing things less bad, right? We're still kind of using these products, but we're gonna recycle them, so that's less bad, but in any event, we could be doing better. And that's somewhat what the private industry actually is doing. How can we reduce our carbon emissions? How can we be doing things less bad, right? And that's somewhat the private sector's kind of mindset right now with regards to kind of how they're impacting the environment and the changes that actually they're installing. Well, what we want to do, which is what we're working on with many wonderful organizations around the world, is over here on the left. How can we change behavior? How can we make better decisions? Not do without, I still get water and coffee. But how can I be using products, impacting the environment, and creating processes for my business to not just be less bad by recycling, but to actually creating an environment where, again, we're not doing without, but we're living a life of goodness and abundance and still kind of enjoying everything great about kind of these products and these opportunities. So what Click is doing is we've partnered and we're creating kind of some applications, if you will, some tools that sit right in the middle between this UN-scary, complicated science of what they're telling everyone to do and the business decisions that private sector companies and people within our companies actually make every single day. So here's an example. The UN, actually, their entire ecosystem, they're reporting their impact on the environment. And usually, in a way, that's kind of tied to this thing called GHG emissions, or CO2, right? we got to reduce CO2 to reduce global warming. 40% of the United Nations ecosystem and their impact on the environment comes from flying, from their people getting on airplanes. So if they can reduce that impact on the environment from flying, they literally can reduce their impact by 40%. That's a huge number, and it's not unlike a lot of companies today. A lot of our companies actually fly around and fly around too much. But we don't necessarily have to say we have to stop having meetings, and we don't have to say that we're going to stop flying. There are just better ways to do it. So what we've taken are the standards from the United Nations on air travel and what air travel's impact on the environment is. And we developed an app. We've developed an app that's used by the entire UN ecosystem as they plan travel, as they plan meetings. They're still flying around. There are needs and ways in which to do so. But by changing the class of travel, by actually changing the routes, and even deciding where to host meetings, meeting planners and travel planners inside the UN now have access to a tool that they can actually reduce the impact on the environment by a significant amount. So again, they're not going to stop business as usual. They're not going to stop having meetings and very important conversations, but they're going to do it in a way with a tool at their fingertips
1: that requires less impact
2: on the environment.
1: So she's talking about the tension between rather than doing something less bad, do something that is actually actively good. And I have been I've been reading a lot about that specifically in the context of climate change. And it's fascinating. And that could be a whole podcast mm-hmm, mini-series mm-hmm. in and of itself or maybe maxi series. Um, but I also like to zoom out and look at it as a metaphor for leadership on a larger scale. How can you do something? Are, are you choosing to do something that is a little less bad? Is it a Band-Aid fix or are you actually actively pivoting, even though that pivot takes work? Are you pivoting to doing something that is good?
0: And I think getting executives to make a decision to change the class in which they're flying because it's better for the environment is a transformational idea. Mm -hmm. And I believe in other conversations I've had with her, they actually have cut their travel down significantly. Mm -hmm. They're meeting in different places in the globe that are easier for lots of people to get to. Mm -hmm. They are having more teleconferences and Mm -hmm. they've really zeroed in their travel to making sure that the personal experience in the country is... Uh, enhancing their understanding and their ability to lead Mm -hmm. instead of just making a trip that the organization will pay for. That's big stuff. Yep. And I appreciated the clarity and the simplicity of the water bottle in the cup and the permanent water bottle in the the ceramic cup. Um, We all understand that for crying out loud. Uh, Just the other day, I was unpacking some new shirts and I had four of them. And as I hung them up on the hanger, I turned back and looked at my bed, and I saw this mountain of stuff that was not recyclable. Mm-hmm on there that was the packaging from the sh- and my my stomach got a little like tightened up and i was like mm-hmm. wow look at all this stuff i'm gonna throw in the mm-hmm. just because i got some new shirts and it was- it's easy to not even think about that i it's- know and it just really it, it kind of haunted me for the rest of the day and i i do think that we need to we need transformational thinking in this area yep. i honestly don't care at all about all that stuff that was around the shirt but i'm also not sure how i would do it any other way. So we've got lots of things we have to think about in that area.
1: Uh, So that's the end of her prepared remarks. And one of the things that you do at the breakfast, and this is actually one of my favorite, very favorite parts of the breakfast, is that you interview the speaker after their keynote. So you get back up on stage and you two spend 10 minutes digging in deeper into who they are and, and their journey. And I thought that uh, your interview with Julie was really, it, it was illuminating, but also it just had some really funny, charming moments in it, especially when she was talking about her kids.
0: Well, in this particular case, um, I was trying to really draw out the personality mm-hmm. that she has in her, in her life outside of work. And one of the ways we do that is with a framework called the seven Fs. And the seven Fs are faith, family, finances, fitness, Friends, fun, and future. Uh, our belief system around good leadership is it's easier to show up with what we call goodness. If you've got positive momentum in each one of those important areas that all begin with the letter F, we, faith is at the beginning, uh, fitness is in the middle, Future's at the end. It's alphabetical because any other way would be political. Mm-hmm. So I, I asked her permission to kind of probe a little bit. So I did ask her a question about her family And uh, it was fun to hear about how she's raising young teenagers and what kind of a challenge that is. So I also know that you are a single mom of teenagers, and you're flying all over the globe. How does that work? Yeah.
2: (laughs) And it's interesting, actually, because um, there are probably lots of folks, actually, that have teenagers here in the room. But I, I feel like it somewhat keeps me grounded quite honestly because even though we're looking at you know data sets around Ebola or the opioid crisis or even you know water scarcity and drought I somewhat feel that kind of raising these teenagers is a little bit more difficult than what I'm doing in, in my daily job <laughs> no joke right I have one who's at college at the University of Pennsylvania and I have a daughter um, who's a senior going through all that college application stress, and then I have a 13-year-old son who is uh, growing just at astronomical rates, um, who is in eighth grade and is start- starting puberty. So I have a lot of social work going on in my home. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's tougher than Ebola. But uh, in any event, so um, yeah, we, we, we juggle, and, and I think that um, as, a, you know, as a, uh, a woman in tech, Um, I'm very proud of the fact that I've kind of um, built the career that I have. Um, I am very much driven by a sustainable future, as you heard, um, for our children. And it's, you know, I see those faces. And that's what really inspires me to actually get out there and want to do more. So a lot of juggling, but in any event, it is uh, what inspires
0: me as well. Okay, one thing that all these speakers have in common is one way talk about their families. they just they they come to life in ways that are really magnetic, and so i I always really appreciate asking those questions and you just obviously she' was very funny about talking about teenage teenage kids, yeah,
1: yeah, being harder than Ebola no, I think and I think it's such a critical part of the blending of the seven f's that you talk about so much that it's not you know it's not just business, it's not just being an executive who leads a team, it's your whole life, everything is a part of it. And her three kids absolutely have an impact on the work she does and the work she does absolutely has an impact on the kids.
0: And I can imagine they have zero patience for listening to stories about, yeah, right. uh, about her work. So there was one other question I asked her, so let's just jump right into that. Well, let's talk about fun. So you're juggling a lot of things. What, what is the source of fun in your life?
2: I, the greatest source of fun for me are obviously kind of spending time with my, my kids and seeing them grow into healthy, young, exciting kind of adults. Um, I visited my son in Philadelphia on campus just on Sunday and had the opportunity to see his, his room in his frat house. <laughs> Back to Ebola. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd rather stare it numbers then see that again but um, uh, yeah so just spending time with my kids and just kind of enjoying uh, who they are and who they're becoming um, and uh, kind of experiencing that is, is really my greatest source of fun and I, I love what I do and so it's it's I'm just a very lucky blessed person to be able to have it all converge mm-hmm. into what I feel is kind of my my whole life if you
0: will yeah we call that blending yeah blend it blends mm-hmm. together Okay, so there's been a lot of things that we've heard from her. Let's just jump right to our signature, the Carpe Diem moment. What's the actionable insight that you learned from Julie that you want to take forward in your life, Chloe?
1: To me, it's when she was talking about how the aspirations that you have when you're young, in whatever form they are, the core of those aspirations usually lace through what you end up doing in your life. And I, you're right, I am at the beginning of my career, and i every year that passes i see more and more of what i dreamed of doing in my day-to-day work and in my day-to-day life and so i i want to take some specific time to really consciously reflect on the core of my aspirations and how they show up in the core of my work.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's the same takeaway that I had. I, I coach many CEOs. I've got a couple of dozen I'm working with right now. And I would say most of them, but not all, are doing the job that they loved and the job that they always wanted to mm. do. And I have a phrase that I use, and that is the, the one who is pursuing her dreams and her visions will never be angry or depressed. Mm. And I really believe that. You are much more resilient and you can handle all the things that life throws. In her case, single mom, global job, uh, dealing with all these brainiacs on on issues that most of us can't even comprehend how to solve them. I think that if you're in your sweet spot, you can be resilient and you can handle life in ways that other people can't. Mm -hmm. So that's my takeaway.
1: Well, thank you so much for uh, having me on a part of your podcast. I'm really grateful for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's fun to see you back here, and you are part of the very beginning. and uh, And I'm really grateful for all of you who are listening. Um, it's important that we take time to work on ourselves and listen, and think, and feel the perspectives of other people. Whether you're, you know, on an airplane or sitting in traffic or riding your bike or taking a walk, uh, the fact that you made time and space for us. um, We're just really grateful, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.